Today, we'll be starting this new journey in a passage of the Old Testament book of Psalm. And so, if you would, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Psalm, the book of Psalms, and open up to the 27th chapter. Um, next week, we're going to start a series going through Psalm 23, but, and we were technically supposed to start it this week, but before we jumped into it, we just came out of a series on relationships, and I just, I really felt like we needed a bridge to kind of set our mindset. For those of you who are going to be around over this summer and the journey we're going to take together through God's Word, I, I, I didn't want to make an assumption that we're all ready to go, and so I, I really wanted to take some time this week maybe to pose this question. Pose this question to you, pose this question to me, and as we look at Psalm 27 today, this is really the question I want you to join me in asking yourself, which is this, are you where you want to be in your journey of faith? Like, are you where you want to be in your journey of faith? Or maybe another way to say it is this, are you where you want to be in your relationship with God? Because... Over the next several weeks as we dive into scripture, I'm making the major assumption that um, you you do want to grow. Like the place that you are in is the place that you don't want to stay and that you really do believe that there is more that God wants to do in your heart and in your life. And, and that's just a major assumption. And so today I, I kind of want to... I really want to pose this question so that you can ask it for yourself and maybe prepare your heart and mind because it can be so easy to jump into the things that, you know, everyday life wants to command your attention about. Because the reality is that in your everyday life, you're bombarded with the question, are where you, are you where you want to be, uh, in your career? Right? I mean, you wake up every day and, 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 and you, you, you know, you get together with your friends like, how's work going? That's another way of saying, are you happy with the way things are going at work? Because that's what it sounds like when someone asks you, like, how's work doing? And usually you can be like, oh, work is great. Or you talk about how, you know, I got together with a friend of mine uh, uh, this past weekend. And um, God bless him. But man, he, he, just, he, he just wants a new career like every six months. And and I got together, and, and he knew. I was like, so how's the job going? And he even knew. Like, at this point, he was like, well, you know, I love this job, and I've been here for a couple of years, but, you know, I'm kind of itching again to, to try something new, right? And, and, and you know, the, the world around us just wants you to ask this question. Are you where you want to be? Maybe it's relationship-wise. Maybe it's financially. Maybe it's physically. Are you, are you fit or where you want to be? You're a high school student. There's Planet Fitness. They've got free summer workout. So, you know, you know you, if you want to be more physically fit, are you, if you're not happy, then go to the gym. Are you where you want to be mentally and emotionally? We see these type of questions being put out all the time. And the world is more than willing to ask this question of you. Hey, are you where you want, are you where you want to be? Like, are you where you want to be? But I'm just not sure the realities of our everyday lives begs us to ask the question, am I where I want to be as a follower of Jesus? And as you head into the realities of whatever summer looks like for you, 
I wanted, at least this week, while I have your attention, I at least wanted to be someone who asks you to consider pursuing God, to be part of your plans. To like actually pause and say, you know what? Of all the things that I have on my plate, of all the aspirations that I have, I do. I do. I do want to grow in my faith. And one of the best ways I think I can help encourage you is through something that a man by the name of David wrote in what we now call Psalm 27. You know, one of the reasons why Psalm connects with so many people is that the book of Psalm can be a mirror of sorts to the destinations we have all been in life. Because there seems to be a Psalm, which... Um, if you didn't know, psalm is literally a word that means song, for every kind of scenario. There are psalms of praise and worship to God. There are psalms of confidence when faith and trust in God is high. There are psalms of lament when things in life are not going well and doubt in God's providence, uh, presence and sovereignty are, are tempting us to believe. And then there are psalms like Psalm 27, Bible scholars refer to uh, psalms like these as psalms of confidence. Psalms of confidence. And these are psalms or songs where faith in God and adversity collide. This is because confidence in God is where a faithful and engaged pursuit of God meets the unpredictable and trying times of life. Confidence in God is where a faithful and engaged pursuit of God meets the unpredictable and trying times of life. Those of you who are older, maybe you've been walking with the Lord, you know this, that confidence in God is built whenever you are asked to have faith in a situation where it seems like the whole world is more than willing to give you a pass at being faithful. One of the reasons I believe we get stuck sometimes in our spiritual growth is because if we were honest with ourselves, though we believe that God can see us through our struggles, we haven't, I don't mean this in a bad way, like, or to make you feel guilty, but this is just a reality. Even though we do believe that God is able to see us through our struggles. I think we get stuck because we haven't actually submitted our complete trust in God in the midst of our struggles. And I understand that in the midst of hard and trying times, often the last thing we think of doing really is stopping to ask, hey, life really is hard right now. Have I placed my trust My confidence in the Lord. Have I done that? And this makes sense when you look at how the world around us tries to navigate adversity. Like when you lose your job, you feel like you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which, by the way, I I think um, Mythbusters said you couldn't do. But whatever, it's still still a thing, right? That's the thing that you feel like you have to do. When the relationships you hold dear begin to disintegrate around you, it's easy to start placing blame on others, or maybe you're not a blamer, maybe maybe you're the kind of person that takes blame on yourself. 
And then it's so easy to want to take matters into your own hands and then do what? Fix it. Or maybe it's when the doctor's visit you've been dreading gives you the news that you had hoped would never be true. It's sometimes so easy to immediately beginning, uh, immediate, uh, it's so easy to immediately begin worrying about things like finances or who is going to take care of the things that you took care of or even who is it that's going to take care of you. I remember when I was in college, I got in a car accident, a really bad car accident. I got hit by a 15 passenger van that got T-boned. And I remember the first thing that came out of my mind wasn't like, am I going to be okay or whatever. It's like the first thing, you know what the first thing I thought of? Oh, my dad is going to be so mad. He just bought this car for me. Like, I'm like, like that's, those are the things like, this is how our mind works, right? And listen, I get it. I understand. Life is hard. Things in life can be very hard, but the truth remains. As Psalms 27 would tell us, is this, that the Lord is my light. In my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war break out against me, I will still be confident. How can a person know that the Lord is their light and trust in Him without any prior knowledge, proof, or evidence of whether or not they're going to make it? Like, how does a person have confidence not knowing whether or not they're going to make it through whatever it is they're going through? My friends, that's called faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us this. Faith is the reality of what we hope for. The evidence of things we cannot see. In the original language of Hebrews 11.1, 1, this verse literally says that faith is built on the foundation of hope. And that faith proves that the things that are unseen both in the eyes uh, the, and, and hope proves the things that are unseen, both with the eyes and in the mind. In other words, um, it's out of your trust in God, even before you see the answer of how he'll see you through, that God works in you and through you to do as he promised. Or as the uh, Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Christians in and around a city called Philippi, he says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, sorry, I'm running my own slides today. Boom, there you go. There it is. If you're a follower of Christ, did you know that God not only started a good work in you, but he has, comp- but he has promised to co- continue to accomplish his work through you until... You are complete. Like if you didn't, then it won't make sense how David seems to 
persevere through whatever it was he was going through in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 27. But if you do, then you'll understand why David would say what he says next in verse 4, which says this, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Now, I get it. When you read a verse like this about David going through some really hard times, and these are the words that come out of a man, out of the mouth of a man who's going through really hard times, it's, it's, it's so easy to think, you know, this is the kind of talk that sounds so heavenly minded, but it's really no earthly good. You know, it's that Christian who always seems to have that Christian answer for everything. Life is so hard. Well, don't worry. Put your trust in God. Trust in Him. And if you weren't afraid of being overjudgmental, you'll admit that you rolled your eyes when you asked someone how they were doing and they replied, blessed and highly favored, brother. <laughs> or maybe you rolled your eyes at me when I said things like, better than I deserve, right? When you hear those kind of phrases. And this is the temptation when you read what David writes here in the psalm. To not take into account that there is really a lot of deep conviction being communicated through what seems like, I don't know, shallow Christianese platitudes. David says that there is only one thing that he asks of the Lord. One thing. Especially in times of hardship. Especially in times of struggle. And what is that? Well, he says, to dwell in the house of the Lord. There was nothing more that David wanted to be doing than sitting in the tabernacle of the Lord. And the question is why? Because that's where the Lord's presence was. Now, I, I get it. Some of you are like, Phil, aren't you the one who's always preaching that the church is not a building, it's a people, right? Um, yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Apostle Paul uh, com- communicated this in 1 Corinthians 3.16, you know this. Don't you realize that what? All together, you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. Again, then in Ephesians 2, 20, verse 21, together we are his house, like we are the house of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So David understood that he needed to embrace what many of us avoid when it comes to pursuing a healthy and growing spiritual life, especially when we're going through times of struggle. And I, I'm, I, mean, I don't... The older I get and the longer I do this, I do realize that I only have a few messages. And I'll just keep preaching it until like we get it. Uh, but I think what David understands here and what this passage, I think, could encourage you to understand is that 
Pursuing God is a pursuit of a relation of relationships and accountability with the people of God. Like when you understand the idea of what is the house of God in the New Testament, it's what? It's you, it's me. One thing I ask, one thing I seek to dwell with God's people. Pursuing God is a pursuit of relationship accountability with the people of God. Our pursuit of the Lord's presence will always fall flat if our pursuit of him, listen, your pursuit of God will always fall flat if it does not include the pursuit of relationship and accountability with those who follow Christ. And and, listen, there are a lot of reasons why people like jump out of of relationship, you're too busy. Sometimes it's not the fact that you like you don't want to confront other people in the midst of your struggle. There's that one side, right? Like I don't really want to talk to people because when they ask me how I'm doing, I don't really want to tell them. Like I get that side, but then there's also the other side that says like I'm so tired, things have been going so badly, and I just need some rest. Well, the whole idea of Old Testament commands to obey the Sabbath is actually an allusion to Jesus would talk this to later. And Hebrews would tell us that Sabbath, this idea of Sabbath was pointing us to what? Finding our rest, not in a day, but understanding that after all that we can do to make our life matter, what we really need, what we really need is to find our rest in Jesus. This is why Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but fulfill them. And he talks about this. We don't have a lot of time to talk about that. But this idea that we need to find our rest in Christ and find it with the people of God, it's one of those things. And, I, and listen, we, some people are amazed when they, when they realize that Leona and I, we host two communities. And we, like, we do it every, every week. And like, oh, wow, you do. And, and, and I'm not going to be holier than thou and say, like, well, every week I just love it. I just love seeing you. I just love preparing my house for you. I love it. I love having to clean and just not leave things the way that they are. <laughs> I love having to make you think my house is clean all the time. I love, I love having to clean the toilets because my, my kids are just too lazy to, like, I really love that. Like, I just always love that. I always love that my wife wakes me up and says, it's four o'clock, it's time to get ready, wake up from your nap. I just love that. I just love that. I love how after church I can't like go, just go fishing because like, you're coming over and I don't want to miss that. Like, I love it when you interrupt my day. Like, I love, okay, I'm being facetious, right? Like, I just, you know, there are just some days where I'm just like, man, I don't know if I want to see you. Like, I just want to take my day as my, but I, I, here's, here's the point. Life is short. Life is short. And after you come to my house, I mean this with all my heart, and I see you and I spend time with you. And especially when you're able, when I feel like we've been honest with each other and we've deeply connected. I tell you what, when you leave my house, I do feel refreshed. I feel like it's the greatest blessing. And I'm like, let's, yeah, let's do this again. Why? Because when life is tough, there is one thing that I have learned 
to want. One thing I seek, to dwell in the presence of God's people. Because where two or three are gathered, guess what? Our Lord is there. And so, this is why the greatest commandments have everything to do with the Lord and others. The Lord's heart doesn't beat fast because he only knows himself. (laughs) God's not in heaven looking into some cosmic mirror and going, man, Yahweh, you look good. You know, he's not Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Right? The Lord's heart doesn't beat fast because he knows himself. Because he's like, son, Holy Spirit, aren't we great? Holy Trinity. The Lord's heart beats fast because of the relationship he has with you. And our hearts should be the same. So do you really want to be a disciple of Christ? I mean, that's the question. Do you want to see growth and maturity in your life? Then God's word wants to encourage you and me to engage in relationship and accountability with other followers of Christ. The very people the scriptures call the temple of God. But there is also one more vital and maybe over obvious thing that this psalm tells us about who God is and what kind of things a person who really believes that God is who he says he is pursues. And it's this. Pursuing God requires a decision. Again, this is super obvious, but I'm just going to say it. Because even as I read this, I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to be reminded of that. Pursuing God requires a decision to pursue and the action of pursuit. A decision to pursue, but then it's just more than that. It's more than just being like, yes, I'm going to pursue. But it requires the action to pursue. Requires the action to pursue. When David wrote, this is what I seek, to seek him in his temple. The word seek in this text means so much more than the kind of seek we refer to in the game of hide and seek. Right? For one thing, God is not hiding. I don't know if you know this. (laughs) He's not hiding. And second, we do know where God is. And so the word seek can also be translated as desire, demand, or require. In other words, to seek the Lord is to make a resolve in your heart and your mind that you will stop at nothing, stop at nothing to encounter the Lord. And seeking the Lord begins with a request over a resolve of the mind, verse 4, and is backed up by a burning desire within us to move into action, which we find in verse 8. My heart says this about you, seek his face. I will seek your face. It's not just about your heart. Like, what does my heart feel like? But it's recognizing with a deep down feeling that maybe you've made in your heart and then going, I want to. I will. Have you done that? Do you want to? Are you seeking? The question that begs to be answered as I read a psalm like this is this. When was the last time I set my heart to pursue the presence of the Lord? Like, when was the last time I set my heart to pursue the presence of the Lord? 
either as a place to go to or as an invitation. Those are two realities. We talked about what it means to enter into that place. It can be found with the people of God, but there's also this idea that you can ask of the Lord to be with you. Which actually, by the way, I mean, theologically speaking, if you are a follower of Christ, he's with you. In fact, Jesus made the promise. He said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey what? Everything I've commanded you. And what? Lo, I will be what? With you to the end of the age. So sometimes our prayer to ask God to be with us is really just like, really, Lord, just help me to see like you're here. Help me. But when was the last time I set my heart to pursue the presence of the Lord? If I could really get personal with you, what's the one thing that God is telling you to commit to today that you know you should be doing? Is it as simple as maybe he's asking you to start or restart trusting him with your like whole life, like every area of your life? Or maybe he's asking you to return to your first love and passionately pursue him like you did when you first experienced the wonderful depths of his grace, his mercy. And of course, there are many ways in which we pursue the Lord. The early church fathers described these as spiritual disciplines. There's many different things we could do. They gathered for worship and communion. They prayed. They fasted. They rested in silence. There's a lot of different ways. I'm not prescribing that, you know, like this is not, this is not a call to community, though everyone is involved, uh, invited to my house. Now we're moving into our summer, by the way, rhythms. And so everyone's coming to my house every other Sunday, starting this Sunday. So you're just invited. Um, if you want to come, just let me know. Make sure I got some brats for you. But one of the most widely accepted spiritual disciplines of all the spiritual disciplines that connects the believer to the heart of God is this, actually. And I'm going to say this and you're like, yeah, I know. But do you really? One of the most widely accepted spiritual disciplines that connects the believer to the heart of God is, is studying, is memorizing, and is meditating on the Scripture. In fact, in the heat of adversity, in the moments where it felt like at any moment all would be lost, even the presence of the Lord, David did the one thing that he knew he must do. He went to the Lord in prayer and he requested the Lord's direction. It says this later in the psalm, because of my adversities, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. The question is, how did David understand what it means to have the Lord Lead those who follow him. In another psalm, David wrote, he gives more insight. Psalm 119 says this, How sweet is your word to my taste. Sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. And then he says, probably the, the psalm that you're familiar with. Your word is a what? Lamp unto my feet. And a light unto, all right, light into my path. Now, listen, 
In a world full of self-help books, celebrity psychologists, social media influencers, it's easy to become convinced that the answers you are looking for are found anywhere but the Lord. And it's for this reason Paul wrote this to a young pastor he mentored called Timothy when he wrote this. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Maybe you're here today and you can honestly say that you are confident in God and you're pursuing the Lord's presence. And, you know, this is a good reminder. Thanks, Phil. You're joining us, worship gatherings. You're plugged in to a community and you're just rocking it with your quiet times with the Lord. You and Jesus, you're simpatico. You know, you're, you're praying. But maybe... It still feels like you're stuck in your journey of faith. If this is you, I think what David has to say in the last verse of Psalm 27 is for you. Here's what he says, verse 13, 14. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait. For the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that when I'm in a season where God is asking me to wait on his providence, wait on him to come through, to wait on his timing of making things come together as it should, it often requires me to be strong. Like, I almost have to make my heart be courageous. Like when the world is swirling around me and my own thoughts are keeping me up at night, it's almost like I have to make myself be courageous, be strong. And I think David understood this. That's why he not only said, wait for the Lord, he followed up with a be strong, take heart. And waiting for the Lord is not for the weak. It's not for those who have not decided to passionately pursue a life consumed by Christ. The resolve to wait on the Lord to accomplish what he wills is the mark of a following, of a follower, of a growing follower of Christ. And maybe the Lord is wanting to speak to some of us this morning that our next step, maybe the one thing that you need to move your relationship forward with Christ, to become more and more like Jesus, to increase your faith, is to resolve to do this. To wait. (laughs) And why wait? Because of this promise. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I don't know where you are at in your um, current season, journey of life. I, I mean, I know where some of you are at. And I just felt that before we kind of jump into a summer of taking on some really tough passages, I, I wanted to, I wanted to encourage each and every one of you to put it in your plans this summer 
to make a decision and make a resolve in your own heart. And, and I and I encourage this. I I ask this question not as like a hey you should be following Jesus, but like I, I know all of you, and I really do. I want the Lord's best for each of you, and I really would hope that this summer you would ask the question, like what is it going to take for me to really be satisfied in my relationship with the Lord. And I want you to put, as one of the goals of this summer, of all we have a lot of plans, make it in your plans to seek His face. This one thing I ask, this one thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's my desire for each and every one of you at the end of the day. I did not start this church because I love setting up chairs and sound systems and playing drums or leading worship. Like that's that. Uh, we started this church because at the end of the day, I really felt a passion and a leading from the Lord to be a pastor. But I actually really enjoy, like I mean this with all my heart, I really enjoy the permission that you give me to continually encourage each and every one of you to grow, to take your faith in Jesus seriously. And the permission you give me to maybe push your buttons a little bit with the Scripture and the hope, hopefully the help of the Holy Spirit to say, look, I know you've been stuck for a little bit. How about we move forward? Whatever it takes.